One, two, one, two. This is a guest in the house. I am one of your two hosts, David Tromdig Shanks. I'm here with my man, Professor Mickey Hess. I'm two of your two hosts. Here we go. Okay, we're rolling. So our topic today. Yeah. So David asked me at the end of our last recording session, what exactly was it that made me get into hip hop as a young white kid growing up in Kentucky? And specifically from a content, from a content point, that's what we were getting into. That's what we're going to get because I knew the allure, the initial allure to hip hop. But what about the content drew you in? And still, I think I would ask, draws your attention. What keeps me coming back? What keeps you coming back from a content standpoint? So I want to open up with a little bit of a reading. Oh, we're opening up with the reading yeah. this week. Okay. Because this is going to address some of those questions, and then we'll uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So this awesome. is a piece of chapter two from my book, A Guest in the House of Hip Hop, um, how rap music taught a kid from Kentucky what a white ally should be. There you go. And here we go. The true power of hip hop on my individual imagination is that it made me have to think about being white. Born into racial isolation in rural Kentucky, I grew up never having to think about whiteness as anything other than a default position. This luxury is granted to a great deal of white Americans whose ancestors fought to keep black Americans out of their schools, pools, and neighborhoods. I grew up at a distance, culturally and geographically, from the communities where hip-hop was created. My friend and my co-host, the rapper Chom Diggs, spent his childhood on Brooklyn playgrounds where Kango Kid from UTFO would come through and toss a football back and forth with the kids. That did happen. So I, on the other hand, lip-synced to UTFO at a talent show at my South Central Kentucky Elementary School where I didn't have a single black classmate. Don't. I grew up among Appalachian poverty, miles and miles from that ever-important metaphysical root of hip-hop, as Michael Eric Dyson called it, the ghetto. I first heard rap music in the woods, on a Cub Scout hike at Kentucky's Wolf Creek Dam. We stopped to eat lunch, bologna and cheese sandwiches and beef stew out of pop-top cans. We ate in the quiet of nature. Until Scoutmaster Larry tuned in his little portable radio to the country station, playing for what seemed like the thousandth time. I'm just a common man, drive a common van, my dog ain't got a pedigree. Larry scanned to the next channel, a Van Halen song faded out, A voice emerged from an echo chamber shouting, Run, DMC. I'd never heard anything like it. I heard guitars, but it wasn't rock. They weren't singing, exactly. Two men shouted the ends of each other's sentences as they bragged about their success. You're the type of guy that girl ignored. I'm driving caddy. You're fixing a Ford. I was the son of an auto body repairman, but I didn't quite catch the paradigm shift. We'd changed the channel from a white man boasting about his modest vehicle to a black man celebrating his Cadillac. My dad played bluegrass guitar. He and his friends preferred country musicians who dressed like they were headed home from a day of hard labor. So they resented these rappers with their fedoras and gold chains. I reckon they think they're big stuff, don't they? They'd ask, shaking their hands at the TV screen. I reckon they think they're something. I didn't understand it then, but the resentment smacked the age-old American stereotypes of the uppity Negro, the zip coon, the minstrel show caricature of the black man who so earnestly aspired to symbols of white success that white people found it funny to watch him fail. Mm. And I'll stop there. Heavy, heavy, heavy. So you were, I guess, you were finding the parody. Not parody. I'm saying you were finding the, the even from there and from this far out, place that you've never been before you still found um i think our producer anthony just used the word synergy in our pre (laughs) and you were able to find that in the words of run dmc synergy yes in the words in the words of run dmc and related even to you know your space and i think that's um i mean that's the human experience at its best as as um you know experience through music Mm. right like I never understood it. Certain things that I know I have like an emotional um, kind of connection to yeah. when it 
comes to hip hop and specifically just the words of the orators in in the genre. And I never, you know, that was something I always kind of like, well, what, what do white guys get? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, besides yeah. there's some obvious things, but you know, I'm like, well, sure. And I think we, we broached on that in the last episode that we recorded a little bit about, um, just like, okay, for like me, there's certain artists, there's certain um, MCs. Okay, perfect example. We talked about Tupac. Sure. And we talked about, um, you had made the comment that Tupac is the, um, it is so quiet in here. I mean, this, this is, I'm going <laughs> to, it's going to take me like it 10 minutes. It's kind of a library. Yeah, it's going to get too. 10 minutes. This is like super NPR yeah. right now. It's going to take me like 10 minutes to really get in my group. If you guys here. could see it, we got like a wood and brick setting yeah. here. It's this great little lounge area, this old liquor cart, liquor cabinet. Yeah, I'm gonna take some pictures <laughs> so everyone can see what we're doing. This is this is awesome, but it's like I'm I'm hearing myself way too well. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well, there, with the synergy too, there's like that nexus of race and class, right? right? And like where you believe you fit into that that whole schema. Where's that intersection of race and class? For right, you? right. And right. so, I think it's different depending on where you're growing up in the country as a white kid. What kind of community? Um, what kind of messages you're hearing from your parents, your coaches, your teachers, your neighbors about who you are in right. the world. Right. Um, that would obviously change the way you you hear this kind of music or right. any kind of music. Well, 100%. And so two things, because now my mind's going in like two different directions. First thing is I was making the point of, like I said, I didn't, I, I always struggled with like what white guys what drew them to hip hop from a content standpoint, yeah. right? Because, you know, like we were talking about Tupac and we were saying, well, skillfully and that whole thing, he's yeah. not like the greatest lyricist or whatever, but it's a passion. It's a, you know, it's just heart. You could tell he was yeah. all heart and he meant every word. Even when he was yeah. wrong, he meant <laughs> every word, right? And that's something that is very, um, I don't know. And I've definitely points to like black people. Like it's very like a very like that yeah. just passion in him mm. is in, in like, you know, he's a, he's a child of a black Panther. So that sure. just that fight in him is very like, we can relate to that, you know, that struggle and that kind of, you know, but I didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> know. I'm like, well, does that, you know, is, is that something that speaks to white America so I think what you're describing is something that like my dad, my uncles probably saw in a guy like Johnny Cash. Okay. You okay. know, like, wow, he'll, he tells it like it is, right. you know, he speaks for us. Right. He, he doesn't, you know, he's not this high class, like, uh, he's not Hollywood. He's not Manhattan. Right. He's salt of the earth. And he kind of tells it like it is and we can get behind. But it. I think that's what makes Eminem Eminem. Yeah. Because I think that. And we kind of discussed this before, like the mm -hmm. white rappers pre Eminem were kind of, we called it rap face. You know what I mean? Yeah. We talked about Beastie Boys and the do-rags and the Puma sure. suits and that. And Eminem was the first, and then, you know, Vanilla Ice was a whole other phenomenon, you know, but the first skilled white guy to tell a white guy story. To have that story to yeah, tell, right? Yeah, 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 and be able to execute it. And you got to be careful about latching onto those stories as a listener, too, because that appeal is also what got Donald Trump elected. Well, true, true. Yeah. I just meant, I just meant in terms of like, I felt, you know, and I think that's what brought in, say, the Yellow Wolves and the Bubba Sparks, yeah. and these guys who are telling these like, oh, I'm from, I'm a country bumpkin, sure. but I, I can rap really well and i'm gonna like part of my selling is going to be that no i'm from alabama Absolutely. and like i'm a rapper you know before i think eminem opened the door for that because eminem oh, was yeah. able to say well, i'm from a, lot a trailer well that too <laughs> i'm from a trailer park sure you know my mother's on drugs and i don't like her which is not a very like we don't we don't not like our mothers you know what i mean that's like sure. blasphemy theme in our community <laughs> like you don't like your mother what are you talking about yeah. so but, yeah, that, that's a white guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah for sure. sure so so but you know it it brought in a champion 
Absolutely. A champion. And, you know, and that is hip hop, right? That was a, we were able to say, well, you know what? That's hip hop. Cause that's his story. As opposed to faking. As, a, as opposed to rap face, as opposed to just kind of like, I'm hip hopping, you know what I mean? And I'm, sure. I'm nice. I'm nice. Like I'm a white guy who can rap and I rap really well and I make these great hip hop records, sure. but you'll never know exactly who I am because I'm not, I don't feel free to, yeah. to tell the story of a white kid growing up outside of Detroit or whatever. And Eminem made a lot off of class. You know, yeah. he kind of shifted the discussion. Even if you think about 8 Mile, that final yes. battle between so Beat like, Rabbit, which is Eminem's character, and Papa Doc. He did change. So he was like the first Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you've seen 8 Mile, um, people out there listening, yeah. um, I assume a lot of you have. But, uh, you know, Eminem's character, Beat Rabbit, is sort of loosely autobiographical. He, he battles his way up against primarily black opponents in yeah. these Detroit hip-hop Not clubs. primarily. Solely. Uh, solely yeah. black. I don't think he another battles white another rapper. white guy. There wasn't a white rapper in that movie. Because he's got to be the special one. Oh, you know. Yeah. Harry <laughs> Allen wrote a great piece about what's wrong with that film and the messages. And he quotes uh, Jimmy Iovine. Am I saying that right? Jimmy Iovine. Iovine. Yeah. There you go. Jimmy Iovine. He quotes him saying that, you know, 8 Mile is about class, not race. Right. And Harry Allen's response is, no, this is very much about race. You know, the whole community sort of uplifts this white icon who, at the end of the movie, is the right. only one who has a future. I mean, that, that, that's Hollywood. I mean, that's Hollywood. What, what yeah. getting greenlit without, without that story. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, Trailer Boy makes good. But we did have Makai Pfeiffer, who was mm. kind of like if the if the movie was reversed, right? If it was like mm. the typical black guy rapper movie, Makai Pfeiffer definitely would have been like Kevin Bacon. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> and it would have been like I would have never made it without the encouragement and the you know of, of course, like so, yeah. so it was it, you know we got our at least we got Makai Pfeiffer. You got Makai Pfeiffer. Yeah. I, I think Harry Allen's point is at the end. What happens to Makai Pfeiffer? <laughs> Right? What do you expect his life looks like after well, that? We talked about that. There's the D12 sequel where he yeah. went back and got that's right the other guys. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah, minus Cheddar Bob. Minus Cheddar Bob. Sure. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So that again, you know, the idea of intersectionality. Yeah. I guess which um, comes from a hip hop discussion. You know, Kimberly Crenshaw came up with that term when she was looking at the two live crew censorship scandal from the perspective of a black woman and saying like, wow, I can champion these guys fighting a censorship. Look at these black men going all the way to the Supreme court. Right. But then sitting there as a black woman, she had to say, well, toxic masculinity, the things they're saying yeah. don't particularly uplift black women. I just saw a clip on Twitter. Crazy segue. Yeah. Um, earlier today, remember Luke's um, talk show? Mm hmm. That used to come on. Was it a talk show? <laughs> I remember a couple of different Luke shows. Yeah, <laughs> Luke's variety show. I, don't sure. know I remember his son Doobie appearance. Okay, yeah, son Doobie would be a part of that. Yeah. So I was watching this clip of him interviewing Little Kim, and there's like damn near a full on orgy going on in the yeah. background, and like a guy's like rubbing like <laughs> Little Kim's leg like while she's talking. Ooh. And they're like, look at Little Kim being able to like answer these questions while people are having wow. sex behind her. The 90s were crazy. That's wow. <laughs> so that's the message. That's the the message. 90s were crazy. Those crazy toxic wow. 90s, man. Yeah. Because yeah. that's all over. Listen, shit, that's not happening. Anymore. Shit was not <laughs> flying that flew in the 90s now. Just Ooh. it wasn't. It was a crazy time, man. Yeah, I don't remember that episode. Wow. Well, you know, it was a crazy time 20 years ago. I but, found yeah. in a, somebody had stuffed in a bunch of VHS tapes. This is how long ago it was. I was walking down the street in Columbus, Ohio, and somebody had stuffed a bunch of blank or, or like unlabeled VHS tapes in like okay. a local weekly that's newspaper usually, box. That's usually pornography. See, I thought I'm going to take these and see what's on them. <laughs> you know, I was walking down the street. I thought, I want to see what is on these. Yeah. And it was all Luke's show. Like, wow. hour, they recorded all these episodes off wow. HBO or whatever. That's channel. gold. Yeah, and they just yeah. stuffed them in a newspaper box for, for a white kid to find. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You were a kid. I wasn't a kid. Oh. I mean, I was in my 20s. Okay, sure. okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Using kid loosely. So as you've grown yeah. from that moment, from the Run DMC moment mm. and the um, I drive a caddy, you're fixing a Ford and what that meant to you and growing into, you know, 
your love for De La Soul and sure. um, you know, uh, MF Doom and MF Grimm and Master Ace and you know even currently like sure. um, Zarface and Zarface, JID, Earth Gang, Rico Nasty. The, yeah, yeah. You just texted me about Rico Nasty and Kenny Beats album, right? Yeah. Content wise. Content wise. Right. Because I don't want to peg you mm. as just like the underground nerd hip hop guy. Of course. Of course. I, <laughs> Although I, I do. All I the run time. the gamut. <laughs> Although I do all the time, right? Just it's for true. jokes. Just for jokes. It's true. But um, whereas, you know, I tend to maybe gravitate towards. I I get my nerd rap in to a certain degree, yeah. right? But I tend to gravitate probably towards more content from our, like we talked about in a previous episode, a reality okay. kind of, you know, my favorite rappers are um, more of the reality, of, you know, and not the like, well, I try to do a nice healthy combination of skill Shit. and reality. You know, so I—that's I, why I love a Royce Nine, who you mutually. Hey, I love Royce. You know what yeah. I mean, exactly. But that's so. When you talk about rapidy rap, like my rapidy rap is more Royce Five Nine, okay. or you know the Griselda guys, where it's like the rapidy rap guys love them, but it's reality rap. Okay. You know what I mean, okay. as opposed to maybe you know like some of the guys who may just be skilled. Mm. and quirky or eclectic or eccentric but yeah who were like when i was in high school i can think of like what the other kids were listening to yeah you know like kids i knew who were into rap at this small town kentucky high school like there was the group who were super into ghetto boys super into nwa right and then there was the group that was a little more into like dell the funky homo right um hieroglyphics right. souls of mischief who were just kind of coming right. out so peg that that, yeah. And that was the question I wanted to ask because okay. I always assumed that that had something to do with those guys having like no real exposure to the content of, say, Scarface, not Zarface, Scarface, mm. Brad Jordan, right? And yeah. the Ghetto Boys. And so it's like, well, I'm naturally going to gravitate towards Hyro. Because it's you like, personally, not me. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm the opposite Damn. of that. Although I did like Hyrule, but I was just yeah. I'm talking about, and that's why I asked the question for sure. you in the last episode because we were talking about I know the type of rap you generally listen to, and I was saying like, what gets you into rap from a content space? Because I don't want to assume that it's like, well, I know a lot of white boys who are into hip hop. Most of them skew the ones who are just kind of themselves, not the guys sure. we were talking about before who are like, ah, whatever, you know what I mean? But the guys who are just like, hey, I'm myself. I'm a cool white boy. I'm not a thug. I'm not trying to be a gangster. I'm not trying to be a hood guy. I'm just a cool white boy. I love hip hop. They tend to skew towards the nerd rap. Ah, And I so always just split, assumed, I just always assumed hmm. that that was because, hey, I don't know. I don't have any emotional attachment to what Scarface is talking about. I don't eat syrup sandwiches. I, you know what I mean? I don't drink Kool-Aid with a whole lot of sugar in it. I've never shot anyone or been shot at hmm. over a crack sale. You know what I mean? Or sure. whatever the case may be. And so I don't know anything about that. I guess it's cool, but well, I love you know, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. He's on a Gorillaz song. So the other side of it, though, the white kids I knew growing up, growing up, and you know, when I teach now, the white kids I see who are still really into reality rap, mm -hmm. a lot of times it can be the same as watching. But that's voyeurism. Yeah, voyeurism. Yeah. Same as watching yeah. like an old cowboy film yeah. or a yeah. mafia yeah. film, right? I wasn't talking about. about it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, minus the voyeurism, minus we know the that they that type of hip hop probably sells the most oh, to yeah. white kids, it's right? It's sensationalist, like, and sometimes it can be stereotype confirming. Of course. You know, so you you hear of some white kids who are super into hip-hop, but still espouse a lot of really racist views yeah. against, like, the same characters that they're hearing on these songs. Um, they may walk around with these T-shirts on, 
um, you know, listen to this stuff all day. But when they encounter a black person on the street, they still have these really negative views in yeah. their head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess in reaction against that, I can think of some of the kids that I teach now and some of the kids that I went to high school with back when I was a kid who um, rejected you know, the violence, the misogyny, even the the consumerism yeah. of something like NWA, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, specifically, I remember I had some friends who went to the, I think it was the first Lollapalooza show. Mm. And uh, Ice Cube was on it. First Lollapalooza tour, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And they sat out Ice Cube's set in protest. <laughs> Word. Yeah. And I was just like, what? You guys drove <laughs> all the way to Cincinnati. You know, to a couple not, hours. And you didn't go. watch Ice Cube. Yeah, and they said, no, it's just so violent. It's just so misogynist. You know, he right. says such terrible things about women. And at the time, like, I didn't know anything about that. You know, right. these kids were the only people I'd ever heard the word misogyny from. Right, right. So I thought, like, wow, that's fucked up. You drive two hours and not watch Ice Cube? Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? <laughs> Mickey's like, I'm watching Ice Cube. <laughs> I drive two hours, I'm watching exactly. Ice Cube. No. Um, and so, but, and then I guess, because it's not a negative or a positive, I'm just curious. Yeah. But I guess to shoot that or to play devil's advocate, mm. I guess that's kind of how I felt about, say, like Native Tongue, which we talked about. Okay. Dela, right? Um, and Dela was definitely, you know, quirky. Like they were definitely quirky. like, okay. I, I love the music. But and playful, like, okay. self deprecating. And so that's like 88, right? Yeah. And then. So I'm like, I'm into it. I'm in the three yeah. feet high and rise. And I'm, you know what I mean? How can you not be? And then it's like 80, 89, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And um, that's when they kind of fully, because I, I, uh, Jungle Brothers, no, Jungle Brothers is 88. They were first. Daylight yeah. is 89. Yeah, I think that officially came out because it was right before Paul's Boutique. Right. Just within months. Right. But three feet high was first. Notice how he referenced the hip hop historical fact yeah. by a Beastie Boys album. Well, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's a birthright. I know, I know. I told you, we, we, we already say got I, I we references got masterpieces of sampling. <laughs> we got by that. We got by that already. It is a touchstone. <laughs> but both are just those masterpieces of sampling. One just got Couldn't make completely them robbed, and the other one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they both got sued. Yeah, they did, definitely. But, you know, the Beastie Boys came back and sued British Airlines or British Airways for using a little piece of something they'd done earlier. So they made their money back oh, on a copyright cool. lawsuit. Yeah, they, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, cool. they pretty much made it back. And De La Soul just got slammed. The Turtles yeah, yeah, sued them yeah. over transmitting life from Mars. Wow. And yeah, they got, they lost so much money. I mean, I brought Prince Paul who produced Three Feet High and Rising as a guest speaker to my class a few yes, years ago. I was there. You were there. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah, true. Yeah. And he mentioned that he still gets like a letter here and yeah. there. Somebody trying to sue him 30 years after this album yeah. came out and he has to like contact yeah, his lawyer. Some little like fishy lawyer somewhere in an office, just somewhere, just like, wait, what was that? And yep. he's just digging through archives. And it's like, I represent that group. It's just I'm nasty. Sure. It's nasty. 30 years times. later, you're still like hearing some little snippet of something and still trying to get a piece exactly off of these. It's just, it's disgusting. And a lot of times the person who gets paid wasn't the person who played the drums or the person who played they the were, saxophone. Those guys will work for hire. They got a hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and now people are like, corporations are still fighting back and forth over those three seconds of music that the actual musician got paid years ago. Yeah, there's a, um, I believe there's a doc on the Funk Brothers. Oh, really? Right. And, and I think um, there's, there's definitely a doc on the Funk Brothers, but um, there's also a doc I saw of a clip of um, Clive Stubblefield. Clive Stubblefield, yeah. He's talking about that. Like, Copyright yeah. criminals. Yeah. And he's like, a session drummer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got paid for his time in the studio, but when people sampled that funky he drummer beat, he is. The funky drummer yeah. is the backbone yeah. of hip hop. Yeah. But all the money when you paid for that sample went to James Brown because yeah. his name was on the masters. Yeah. And God bless James Brown for yeah. having his business in order. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. I'd rather it be him than, you know polygram or something <laughs> well it's uh, it's still whatever yeah, the label yeah, was right yeah, yeah. the small piece of it yeah. filters down to james brown's estate yeah yeah but there's a good article by andy bennett about white kids growing up in newcastle on tyne in okay. great britain okay and this idea that kind of in this working class community 
a lot of the white kids there who got super into hip hop would feel like it was forward thinking of them. Like they were rejecting the racism that their parents and the older generation had shown growing up. And that's kind of interesting to me. I think, you know, when I first got into hip hop, kids I saw getting into it around the same time, like mid eighties or so, I think there was a little bit of that sensibility. So like rebel culture, kind of what rock, rock was for your parents' yeah. generation or our parents' generation. So it's right? not just voyeurism. There's a little hint of rebellion to yeah. it. And, you know, Jack Kerouac talked about this in the 50s, about how he loved to go hang out in true, authentic jazz clubs. You're right. You know, yeah. kind of like yeah. to rebel against yeah. the, the staid white society that yeah. we associate with the Pretty 1950s. shit was going down. That, yeah. 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 And Mez Mesro, of course, if you guys know Mez Mesro, it was a jazz musician and weed dealer to the jazz yes, stars. Yes, yes, Yeah, he was sort yes. of, in a way, the original Rachel Dozel, although he was a lot more accepted, yeah. I think. Well, he had the weed. He had the weed. Rachel braids hair, which is true. And writes <laughs> a master's thesis about hair. Yeah. She's yeah. awesome. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think she's fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, the idea of like passing or uh, rejecting. I mean, Mez actually wrote up the Census Bureau and said he wanted to cl- consider himself, quote, a voluntary Negro. Wow. And this would have been in the 30s. Wow. That's tough. Yeah. 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 He That's didn't dedica- try. So he That's wasn't dedication. passing. Right. He was just announcing. So when they say um, everybody wanted to be black until it's time to be black. Yeah, no, he, he, he really did. wanted. He was yeah. like, no, I'm, I'm here for all of it. He said, let's change my <laughs> census designation. Oh, I live in Harlem. I play jazz. Let's just do it. Yeah. 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 But what I was saying yeah. was. um, So while I loved it. I'd love the Jungle Brothers. Oh, yeah. So I love the Jungle Brothers. But it was. Tribe Called Quest mm. that and not so much um, people's instinctive travels, travels and the, and the paths, paths of rhythm, rhythm but yeah. Low End Theory that's a damn good album Low End Theory is when it was like and maybe I was a little older too so you know from an identity standpoint mm. it was like okay these are kids from Queens in Brooklyn at least Shaheen Muhammad's from Brooklyn mm. and they weren't tough guys, but they were cool. They were from the environment. They were from, yeah. and, you know, and they were cool, mm. you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, that feels like me. Okay. You know? Yeah. It, I mean, I love Rakim and I love Kooji Rap, but I, they didn't represent, they represent elements of my neighborhood. Okay. But they didn't represent me. Yeah. That makes you know sense. I mean, like I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't a drug dealer, you know what I mean? And I I didn't have dookie ropes and I was a kid, you know what I mean? (laughs) I was a kid. So, but tribe. You can see yourself in them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was me. So again. But it wasn't like weird. Like I said, once we got to low end theory, people's, which I loved. Of course. But the outfits and that wasn't really me. So that's the relationship I would have had with the Beastie Boys. Right. Where I would have said, man, these guys are kind of like me. Yeah. You know, I could see myself like ideally hanging out with guys like this, having as much fun as they're having, being as cool as they are, right? Yeah. But then I remember like I was really into Jungle Brothers too. And back then, like the cassettes, which was what I was buying. This was even pre-CD for me. Of course, cassettes. They would have a little order form Mm. and you could order Jungle Beads. Nice. And I remember I wanted to do it, but my mom said it wasn't cool. (laughs) No red, black, and green (laughs) beads for you? My mom was smart enough to point out sometimes like, yeah, I don't think think you should buy those and wear those. Oh man, you should (laughs) have. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have known what they were. They wouldn't have. Where I was. Clue, not a clue. What I can see now, you know, yeah. is problematic. Yeah. You know, I, don't, Not a I had no self-awareness to no. why that could have been a problem. Oh, man, and you shouldn't have. We should live in a world where you, you should not have to even think about why. You should have just got on that order form. Yeah, so I got my jungle beads. beads safari, got my NWA looks. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they used to wear the safari vest. They did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh. should have did that. That would have been cool. My mom did the same <laughs> thing with the homie the clown t-shirt that I was going to buy. <laughs> She was just like, no, I don't think this is a good look. So my mom went back to college when I was like 13 years old. She went back to get her degree and teach preschool. Good for mama. So yeah, she would have been in in college around this time. And I think some of the ideas were probably coming from some of her classes. And uh, 
you know, especially being trained as an educator. Right. I'm sure she had a little bit of introduction to diversity that I hadn't had at mm. uh, 13 or 14 years old. Mm. So mm. I remember thinking like, well, why can't I have jungle beads? Why can't I walk around with homie the clown on my t-shirt? Right, right, right. That's, but, see, that's such a, you know, and man, that says a lot because we're, we're talking one about like generational, like how your parents um, sometimes intelligently hold you back you know what yeah. i mean and that dance between like letting you go because like if coco wants beads you're getting coco beads you like think you're gonna, so? i think you would let coco go <laughs> hmm i don't know i'd never thought about yeah. that because it's like express yourself see i feel like <laughs> my as daughter long coco as you can gauge you can gauge you know i think you have a healthy gauge of like okay yeah this is but coco has more rope than she Mickey. Does. Her name's she does. Coco. Her Just name is by Coco. virtue of her name, she That's has more true. rope than young Mickey. <laughs> and she, you know, even in fourth grade last year, pointed out to me that her school's Black History Month celebration, mm. they brought four white musicians for, for the one day thing. And she said, well, they seemed like they were playing songs from, from black artists, but it was just four white guys, <laughs> yeah. which is a pretty cool thing for to her be, to notice. Yeah, at exactly. Least, as exactly. a, you know, a nine year old that she exactly. was at the time. Exactly. And I don't think I would have caught onto that even when I was in high school. Yeah. I don't think I had the self-awareness yeah. and certainly the curriculum I had at school. I mean, again, it's kind of sad to say that hip hop was the the most essential part of my uh, training in diversity when I was in high school. Wow. What it was. Well, thank God for hip hop. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it put some uh, off-kilter notions mm. in my head at times. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, listening to uh, even DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, you know, even a, a, a duo like that, yeah. I would pick up on a couple of things. Like, there, there were certainly lessons yeah. Written into even like the poppiest. Rappers. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Especially those guys. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, for Rock sure. the House. Yeah, that was one of my favorite albums when that came out. That was a good album. And what was that, 86? I think that was early, 87? I'd have to fact check that one. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah. Early. Yeah, it was for early. Sure. It was definitely early because they were, um, you know, when they, they were part of like that first wave oh yeah yeah i mean they got the first grammy and everything right? that's right yeah, even though it was not aired on tv yeah, right yeah yeah <laughs> so it seems like we got you know a few approaches from white kids like what draws them to hip-hop initially there's the voyeurism yeah there's the rebellion like yeah. we mentioned bakari katwana has a really good book called why white kids love hip-hop Mm. Um, it came out in 2007, so I mean, it would be interesting to see an update of that for 2019. Not only that, but the so you have like this wave, you know, your Tyler the Creators, mm. um, you know, Earl Sweatshirts, um, guys like that who are of a certain age, and maybe not what like kind of what I'm describing about Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, for me, Eminem also is for them so you have these suburban black kids true yeah who were not tough guys who were mm. not and they gravitated to eminem as well because of the quirky right? and the yeah so he yeah. didn't just become say a hero for the white kid he also there's there's a um but it's not a class thing yeah right it's i don't not a think class so, thing because these kids i would argue were probably from a better socioeconomic background oh yeah than eminem but definitely they then you know the the, the slim shady the character mm. the you know it was so outlandish yeah right? it could live out this violent fantasy yeah 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 and that influenced a generation of even black artists and to go back to ice cube you know there was never a moment especially back then that ice cube drew a line on record and said well this is the ice cube part of me it's this uh persona i'm living out fantasies and here's the o'shea jackson part yeah you know here's what i do yeah. as a as my government name or as a real yeah, person he's still not his yeah. name, and he's doing are we there yet as ice still cube. ice cube yeah, yeah it's amazing 
So there's that collapsing of O'Shea Jackson, the person on Ice Cube, the character, the stage persona, and yeah. Eminem by playing around with Eminem versus Slim Shady and yeah. Marshall Mathers versus yeah. Slim Shady kind of set the two apart yeah. in a way that I think served him really well, right in the wake of, I agree. you know, Vanilla Ice having faked so much. Yeah. And Eminem had to come out and prove, well, I'm not another Vanilla Ice. Yeah. But let me tell you when I'm going to exaggerate. Yeah. You know, let, let me, me tell you. the, yeah, the outlandish or the. There you go. Yeah, the, the Eminem on steroids. The revenge guy. fantasies, the yeah. stuff I'm going to say but never actually do. Yeah. And then actually, in a very clever way, right, create like music like Stan where he's Ooh, yeah. telling the super fan, hey, man. Back up. I just, <laughs> I just say that shit. Yeah, it's like, not real. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, 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 very clever. Yeah, very and then clever. you know you mentioned uh, Odd Future, Tyler the Creator. Yeah, I mean uh, Earl has always been someone that I'm fascinated with. Uh, Earl's dope. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know he was growing up with his mom as a professor. Professor, yeah. Um, Cheryl Harris. She wrote this uh, classic article called uh, "Whiteness as Property," mm. which kind of says it all right mm. there. I mean, it's a, it's a real classic article. And his dad, of course, is Bri Willie, who was a poet. I didn't know that. Absolutely, he was South Africa's poet laureate for Get years until his death. Town. Yeah. Fact checker, Mickey that's else. it. Yeah. So that's Earl. Yeah, I mean, his dad was associated a little bit with the Black Arts Movement, right, and okay. Leroy Jones and those folks. Okay. But yeah, it was big, Dope. big name. Oh, no, that makes sense. And, you know, Earl's got that line where he says, you know, he grew up too white for the black kids. Yeah. Too, and, yeah, yeah. And the reverse. Yeah. 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 And um, if you're thinking about, if you think about that time period, mm -hmm. right? So if that's, what is Earl probably now and... Earl's probably 30 at the oldest, right? Younger than that. Cause I don't know. I Tyler's just touching 30, okay. maybe 29. So Earl's probably 25, 26, 27. So that's that okay. early 2000s era. Yeah. And we talked about that in a previous show, how kind of, you know, it, it, what was happening before say, um, Kanye and Drake. Yeah. You know, we were like, other than the stuff that was happening in the South, mm. 50 Cent was everything. Yeah. And so I'm saying from a diversity standpoint and from an image, they had pretty much like completely destroyed like underground hip hop. Like underground hip hop was far. It was driven underground. underground. <laughs> you know what true. I mean? It was far underground. This is pre yeah. social media, pre like YouTube really. Oh, so yeah. there wasn't. You had to dig you, for it. Exactly. Right. And so. Who were these kids? Who were they seeing? Like they weren't able to really see themselves in That's anyone, true. probably besides Eminem. True. And then you know, a couple years later, you get MF Doom, who was definitely on the underground level, but definitely drew a huge fan base. Right. Know, made it definitely through to the mainstream. Yeah, and the uh, he, yeah, he definitely snuck his head up, yeah. peaked his head up for yeah. like a quick second. Yeah. Definitely the yeah. mask and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, you know, and you had to be, mm. you know, you had to be hip. You had to be mm. hip to that kind of stuff. It wasn't yeah. like you know, we we you know we we were fortunate to have lived in a time where, you know, none of it was super mainstream, and what leaked into the mainstream came through a filter that was still hip hop. Yeah, I think so. You know what I mean? So yeah. our, although it was labels and all of that happening, the gatekeepers were still like kind of attached to the culture. Oh, yeah. Right. And then it just became like, you know, uh, what did, uh, what did a uh, genius say? You know what I mean? Um, suit and tie cat that's cleaned in a bar of soap there you, you know go. what I mean <laughs> so it, true. it became where it was like I have no idea I'm just, became a, I'm just a marketing stuff. guy yeah. and um, you know so what sells what doesn't I don't yeah. you know what I mean and that's what the that's what was being filtered into the industry once it became a billion dollar oh, industry sure. but you know um, you know I couldn't imagine well I mean now we're back mm -hmm. because they're really like isn't an industry per se, right? Yeah. Like the internet has kind of artists can find listeners. But there was a time, there was a period of time, and you say in two thousand two, there's no way Tribe Quest was going to get signed as a new artist. No, 
new act like no the tribe whoever the tribe called quest was in 2002 they were not getting a major yeah they're probably yeah. stuck on myspace somewhere yeah. right yeah. We, we haven't heard from them. yeah yeah <laughs> this is me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, me maybe yeah. that was your shot 2002 yeah. no it wasn't <laughs> no it wasn't it was a struggle that is a I, real difference i had to though. wait until 2012 <laughs> and drop a single I would have dropped in 2002 and it's like this is great where have you been all this time I'm 40 I'm just playing it's but all yeah, been playing though right yeah, yeah. it's all been there yeah. just people didn't know how to get to people it people didn't know how to get to it or get it out and yeah. that is pretty amazing I mean it definitely changes everything about music and just the way people can access it today because um, I mean I even remember the, the local record store that stocked hip hop where I was growing up, this was this would have been in Somerset, Kentucky. This store at the Somerset Mall. Nice. It's called Sound Shop. Nice. Sound Shop. Sound Shop. But they really enforced that parental advisory shit. You had to be eighteen. Get out of town. That. So I would scope out the arcade and find somebody that looked definitely over eighteen, but still kind of cool. Kind of what? And at the same time, you're doing that. I'm finding someone to buy like liquor. From. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> I was buying that you final NWA album records yeah that's insane what's yeah. the first cd you bought the first cd i bought was ice cube's death certificate mm. the first cd mm. and second was probably cypress hill mm. first cypress hill first cd i bought was diamond d and the psychotic Ooh. neurotics okay yeah so almost same year i would 90. guess 1991 no, I had definitely had death certificate on tape. Okay. Um, I think Diamond D is 92. Okay. Yeah. I was probably buying death certificate late. Yeah. I probably had like a dub cassette copy. I definitely had I was a wearing dub out. With something else on the other side, probably kill it, Willers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that was the way I got most hip hop early yeah. on. You know, I would get like a third or fourth generation dubbed cassette. Get out of there. Yeah. People yeah. would pass them around. Everybody'd be like, wait a second, is this a censored version? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, where did you buy yours? Kmart? I don't want that. Man, I want only Sound Shop. I don't yeah. want the one you bought at Walmart because yeah. it's censored. Well, they were censored. Yeah, I was saying they were censoring it like for you, right? Like, yeah. They would. The artists would do that. Like NWA would turn the curse words backwards. Man. So it would just be like the word backwards. <laughs> Yeah, That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but most of the time, you just got a beep or dead air. Oh, man. They wouldn't even censor LL. I always love the clever um radio edits oh, yeah. where the artists would go back in and, and like change it up the entire thing again yeah. i love those some of the some there's some radio edits i like better than the um oh definitely originals if we if i knew we were segueing into this, <laughs> i would have had one off the top of my head because people would actually re-record their verse yeah or part of their verse yeah for the there's radio. a black moon one there's um real. shit is real mm. which love, is their best song i love that's a really good song i love it i love the radio edit more right i don't even know if i've heard the radio and um check how i kick it when i was wicked around, around the, the way hold my tech because my brother's pump our day drugs and thieves in hit the, the eve of the, of the night. night brothers who fake real get on a real flight six feet deep in the creek my technique got a brother locked down yeah, for a week word is born it is on like this or something it like is that. On. move because i'm on the enemy's hit list okay yeah 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 wow yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah i like that version. there's some brand new being they re-recorded too they had like a censored version yeah yeah take yeah. out the homophobia yeah take out <laughs> whatever is well the whole punks jump up to get beat there's a right. whole nother version oh yeah 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 Fuck That's up. the yeah, uncensored freak the version. Fly flow. Fuck up a party, and he's still addressing that, right? <laughs> Dance all night yeah. and, and caught a body, That's as opposed it. to the other one that we won't yeah. get ourselves banned because it's been, our <laughs> he's had to defend that for twenty years now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's a good thing he's just a dot X and he's an underground legend yeah. now, and he's not like hosting like the number one something on something because sure. they would kill him. He's selling did. wine now. He is selling wine. And doing well. And shouts to like Sadat X. But I mean, like, if he turned himself into, like, say, Joe Button or something, yeah. where he was, like, a real media, they'd kill He him. couldn't escape he, they, I mean, they're still asking Lord Jamar to defend Sadat's verse. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I remember that. I, you know. yeah. And it's so, you know, but you know what the funny thing about that is? I don't think I blinked the first time I heard that 
Yeah. It was just, it just wouldn't have it, even thought, it right? It was what it was. <laughs> I remember a time. friend. <laughs> that and this would have been junior high. Yeah, I remember like in junior high, a friend was playing Easy Does It. Mm. Easy E's album. First album, first solo album. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the first cut about robbing the bank. Mm. And he's taking the woman hostage. Yeah. And like every Friday, our, our music class teacher would let us bring in something of our own. Mm-hmm. You know, something you guys are into. And we'll listen to it in class. Nice. And he nice. did not That's know. That's how I ended up bringing Rockbox on oh, vinyl really? to my second grade um, party. I imagine that went over better. Yeah. And then yeah. I had, also had 8 million stories. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, those are my two. Yeah, this one, this music teacher who considered himself like a, a super laid back guy, man. Mm-hmm. He still kept kept current on rock music. His eyes, man, he had never heard anything like this. And it is a pretty horrific scene. Like, I didn't blink at it when I was 13 or 14. No. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's, he's just like Chronicles raping this woman. Yeah. Took, takes her hostage in a bank and rapes yeah. her. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and then the music teacher cut it off, and we weren't allowed to bring in our own stuff no, I'm going to, yeah, that cancels the bring your own music in right of- <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but that had a radio edit too yeah oh wow yeah how right? <laughs> they all made radio edits just in case you know in case just this becomes a single right? oh man <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so i mean things change along the way but uh and you know now you can access basically whatever you want but the question for artists is like how do you reach all those people out there because there's so much to find right i mean anybody can put their stuff up on youtube or instagram or wherever but uh how do you point people toward it you know how do you get your voice heard yeah well the beauty the beauty the beautiful thing about Mm. that is um and i was watching and we'll probably get into that Mm. another time or later but i was watching um dave chappelle get the mark twain prize for humor the other day amazing stuff Hmm. and he was saying that right now there is a comedian for every thought opinion like every every way that you are every you know way that you think as a human being there's a comedian that represents that point of view i would say the same thing about musicians oh you know so unprecedented time right now where you can just go on wherever SoundCloud, your DSP, Mm -hmm. whatever, and find someone who raps or sings or whatever from your point of view. And you can champion that person. You know what I mean? And and, and we kind of had to, like you said, you kind of had to take certain things of certain "Ah, I'm not really into that. (laughs) But I love these other five songs. So overall this is my guy. That's a little bit too much, or sure. you know, or that's not enough. Or- See, I don't think I was smart enough to do that. Mm. You know, I think I just took easy as easy and didn't think like, man, that's not so cool to, to rape somebody. I mean, we were, you know? we were. I mean, we were kids, man. So yeah, we For were. Sure. It was just fascinating. It was shock. You know what I mean? It was, you know, it was the type of stuff that yeah. got Howard Stern his media empire. Absolutely. Right? It was like holy shit. Oh yeah, I mean, he knew what he was doing. And the, oh yeah, easy for yeah, sure. Yeah, he was, he was a doing. business and, man. You know, the hiding and I don't know about for you, but mm-hmm. the hiding the album, right? And like, oh yeah, that, that that was all part of it. Like when I was able to listen mm-hmm. to it and like waiting for my mom to like leave, to yep. turn it up. You <laughs> know what I mean? It's and take my headphones off and just like she's gone, yeah. blast it. You know what I mean? Like that was all part of the thing. You don't want your mom to hear Easy E. No, no, my mom right. never heard no. Easy E. God bless her. Yeah, <laughs> my mom never heard Easy E in the house. You know what I realized just this year? I was teaching Two Live Crew and I had forgotten this little experience from junior high school. Mm. I got kicked off a field trip. <laughs> to the local newspaper in Somerset, Kentucky. Wow. And I got kicked off it. We had some time. We were supposed to be working on like a, a fake little news story and we were using the computers at the local newspaper. And my friend and I decided to try to like transcribe two live crew lyrics from memory 
<laughs> to see like who could remember them yeah. verbatim. Yeah. And I think we probably had most of them wrong. I mean, this was before the internet. It's not like we could look it up. Right. But yeah, we sat there for like 45 minutes typing up two live crew lyrics. That's and then the, like the newspaper woman comes up behind us and says, what? <laughs> what are so you guys you typing? you bent over <laughs> and what do I diddy diddy dumb diddy do? Yeah, yeah, they weren't into that. No, no. And you got a, um, it was, it was a, um, it was a, um, it's like a school field trip, but it was a female newspaper yeah. person. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And no. fair enough. Right. Yeah. And she did the right thing. Yeah. Somewhere I'd forgotten. I think that, that was a teachable moment. I don't know that sure. she should have kicked you off. <laughs> You're a kid. I think she should have sat you down and told you why. That would have been nice, yeah. right? Because well, who Cause, learns yeah. from punishment? That's man. true. I just had to figure it out on my own <laughs> yeah. why that wasn't cool. Yeah, see? Yeah. But, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to share because I didn't get to oh, share. Oh, that's right. There you go. Right? I'm going to share a piece that I wrote in the um, book, Expressive Writing, Classroom and Community, edited by Kathleen Adams. So now this is not a Trom Diggs okay. sharing segment. This is a David this is Shanks. A David Shanks sharing segment. Okay. And I'm going to um, read from the section, Writing in Your Own Voice, Hip Hop as the Template for Expression. Hip hop has evolved from a need to keep peace in the streets to becoming the voice of the streets and is now the voice of expression for young people worldwide. As a senior hip hopper, which sounds ridiculous, my hope for the youngsters behind me is that they are made aware of hip hop as a tool of real expression and not just a vehicle to make money and become famous. Hip hop can be an escape and hip hop can be a vehicle for just the opposite to delve deep into the root of an issue, whether internal or external, and ponder or provide a solution. In my darkest days, when nothing else gave me comfort, the ability to write my own unique form of poetry saved my life. If my music had never generated a penny, I would still be forever indebted to the pioneers who brought me the gift and showed me the power of words. I think parents, teachers, and therapists need to take the blinders off and realize that our youth identify with hip hop culture almost across the board. And we need to show them how to use that to help them help themselves. Ooh. Yeah, that is from Expressive Writing, which is a book that a lot of writing professors in training get assigned as they go through their grad school programs. I did not know. Absolutely. So you're telling me that people use this book. And they're reading me. Grad school professors assign this book all the time. Well, look at that. Yeah. I'm helping. Yeah, absolutely. Shit, that's cool. Look at that. Expressive writing in hip hop. Yep. Hip hop is therapy. As therapy, as journal therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is a guest in the house. I believe we will sign off the podcast here. I am Mickey Hats. I am Trom Diggs, our aka producer. David Shanks, or David Shanks, aka Trom Diggs, our producer, Anthony Serge. That's right. And Steve Sachs did the logo. Very cool. Thanks, Steve. And the logo is pretty awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> and thanks again to Rope Dope for letting us record here absolutely, today. Absolutely, absolutely. I think by the next episode we'll be comfortable. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be able to settle in my chair a little bit. There oh we man. Go. So guests in the house podcast. Until next one. time. Absolutely. Signing off. <laughs>